Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others, and the planet. Welcome to episode 34, the first of a two-part series of the Enterprise Excellence podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Mr. Pascal Dennis and Laurent Simon with us today. Pascal and Loren are the authors of the new book, Harnessing Digital Disruption, How Companies Win with Digital Thinking, Agile and Lean Startup. This book is timely considering these uncertain times and the rapid digital and virtual advancements we're experiencing. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Let's get into the episode. Pascal and Loren, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Guys, I understand there's... There's an interesting backstory to you guys connecting and actually, you know, getting involved in this book. Do you mind giving us some of that insight? Uh, Laurent, shall I start? Please. So um, I am sitting in my backyard with my, my dear wife, Pamela. We're having a cocktail. She is the mixologist of the family. And um, my phone starts to buzz. And I said, Pamela, this is an unusual note here. Uh, this, this fellow's on the other side of the world. And I very quickly, you know, checked Laurent's profile. I said, interesting guy. Yeah. So I, I uh, made a mental note to follow up with him. And um, the story began uh, in Toronto, in my backyard, with my phone buzzing and this strange message. <laughs> wow. So my version of the story is um, I'm a big fan of Pascal uh, because he's written many books on lean and strategy execution. And that's what all of us on this call have in common. And um, when I was finishing off his last book, I'm like, hey, what if we were to do something similar, but on digital transformation in the financial service world? Mm -hmm. So we started to, to, to build a relationship like that. We entered into regular cadence of call and catch-ups. And after one year, we were very, very excited by the prospect of writing a book together. And we figured that the next mood would be for us to meet in person to validate whether or not there was chemistry. Long story short, he's based in Toronto. I'm based in Singapore. We decided to meet in South Africa. Yeah, well. And the rest is history. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's basically how it started. And uh, we began our, uh, our habit of ha taking long walks. So whether we're uh, on the other side of the world from one another or in the same city, we usually have our talks while walking. So we started our, uh, our, our, our in-person walks in South Africa in KwaZulu-Natal, and we found we were simpatico and that the ideas were just flowing. And um, at the end of every chat with Laurent, and they've been weekly now for four years, I have you know three pages of mind maps. And boiling those down uh, for me was instrumental in, in uh, writing this book with him you know the ideas were so rich and we we finish each other's sentences and that's something we have to watch out because not everybody that hears us talking about these ideas has had four years of uh you know this kind of shared uh <laughs> mental uh mind work you know 
Wow. Yeah. So there's been there's been some real background in the creation of this book, and two two great minds coming together to form and delve into it. I'm sure there's been a lot of back and forth and then exploration and re reorganization through that journey. Yeah. What was clear uh, to me, uh, you know, my background um, is uh, Toyota in the 1990s. That's where I, I grew up as a professional engineer and as a manager. What, what was clear to me was that these ideas are profoundly useful. In other words, the ideas of the Toyota production system, but that they really need to be translated for a digital world. And, and Laurent especially um, sensitized me to the possibilities uh, entailed by blockchain and data and drones and 3D printing and uh, artificial intelligence, which have created um, the poss- a possibility of invention that didn't exist before. So we have to translate these ideas for a digital world and the sky is the limit, I think. Yeah. And Lorraine, I understand just on your background a little bit, very much on that digital side, but also financial services and other sectors aside from Pascal. So it was certainly some two backgrounds coming together. Yeah, how lucky is um, we have a shared logic. We speak the same language because of the Lean Foundation. And to your point, we, we work, we are specialized in two very different industries. And it's very interesting to, to see what, you know, what, what I do in, in, in bank or insurance, what does it mean for him? And as you know, bringing Toyota production system into services has been something uh, quite, <clears throat> quite uh, beneficial. Uh, and that's been the case since the 90s. Um, what is very, very clear for banks and insurance is that you've got a series of, of new players called FinTech or InsurTech who are doing a much better job at addressing pockets of the value chain. So for example, lending on its own today can be done from a mobile phone much faster and in a, more, in, in a much more transparent way than yesterday. The same when it comes to cross-border payments. So if you take the example of TransferWise, for example, which is a so-called unicorn, which is it's a startup that has become very big and very mainstream. And that's what people use a lot to send money uh, from one country to the other, whether they are individuals or they are businesses. Blockchain typically is reinventing the way people do import and export because uh, typically the letter of credit, which is how do you secure as, a, as, a, as the seller that you will receive the payment for the goods once the buyer receives them is so much simpler with blockchain, but that requires a massive transformation of the way the people involved in the ecosystem work, et cetera, et cetera. So on the one hand, you've got small players who are eating the lunch of the bank and the insurers. And on the other hand, you've got the big platform company like Google, Amazon, et cetera, who are also entering gradually uh, in some pockets of the financial services, specifically in the retail world. Wow. So guys, is, it, is that the reason you wrote this book is that you've both got amazing background and knowledge in excellence and you see these changes happening. Like what was the reason you wrote the book? Was that part of it or what was the true purpose of it? It, it was very clear to me um, that uh, the Lean Foundation was necessary, but it was not sufficient. That 
the rate of technological change was such that um, you could not rest on your laurels. So I was very proud of, you know, uh, my experience at Toyota and all the great senseis, but it wasn't enough. And that um, a company, a person, you know, uh, uh, an organization risks um, uh, becoming obsolete very, very quickly. So we had to rapidly translate these principles for a digital world. And um, Akio Toyota, the, the president of Toyota, said the same thing. And I remember it was 2018, three years ago, he said, we are facing the greatest crisis in our lives. He was sounding the, the, the proverbial and on. And he's right. And he said, our competitors are not GM and Volkswagen and so on. They are well-financed, extremely smart, extremely capable tech companies. Our competitors are Amazon and Google and the like. And he, he's right. Um, so I recognized that all that I had learned provided a wonderful foundation, but we've got to translate it and we've got to go back to school and practice what we preach and that there was a new generation of innovators that were doing wonderful things. And the, the, uh, the bodies of knowledge developed in design thinking, in lean startup, in agile ways of working, not to mention DevOps and the rest are really remarkable. And they're marvelous people in these fields, you know, the Steve Blanks and Alex Osterwalders and many more. And uh, that uh, I was inspired. I felt like I, did in 1990 when I was a young engineer at Toyota, I thought, wow, this is the future. This is great. So yeah. it was wonder wonderfully engaging for me. Yeah. So it's, it's, you saw that time of change coming again and you're like, right, okay, we got to put this in a book to be able to help people the same way you did with, you know, getting the right, you know, getting the right things no. done and Andy and me and all those types of things. Lorraine, I know yeah. that the other factor here is the pace, isn't it? The speed at which these other companies are driving through, is that a big driver for you with writing this book? Yeah, absolutely. So I, f I felt very fortunate being in Singapore the last six years to actually be being in one of the places where this convergence was the most obvious. I felt in a way that I was living in the future. So um, one of my job was around how do you make fintech and banks or insurers collaborate effectively with one another? Um, the other one was, so the, the, the why behind this book is I was uh, very keen to share the learnings derived from this is what we tried in the last five years. This is what works. This is what doesn't. Those are the patterns or the, the, the proven recipe. And we wanted to share that in a very easy to read, very funny business novel, which is, which is of course, a fiction, but it's derived from real life experience around deploying agile ways of working and also fostering digital innovation in risk adverse culture. So how do we help the people at the top of the pyramid to clearly understand what tech can do for their business? How do we help them frame constraints into opportunities? A typical example is open banking. Singapore is well ahead of most countries on that front. Uh, while in Europe or even in Australia or in New Zealand, where I live now, uh, those uh, topics are still emerging. The second uh, challenge is how do we make sure that we help the, the staff um, feel confident and capable when it comes to mastering design thinking, 
to bring customer centricity at the core of the discussions, agile ways of working to actually deliver value fast, and lean startup, which basically make people more comfortable when it comes to running a series of experiments, cheap, cheaply and fast. So those are the elements. The third one was um, to do what? You know, you can dream about blockchain changing the world, but what is the business behind that? Everybody talks about AI, okay, but what does it mean in practice? And what do I do with my core business? Because this is where I make money and I cannot throw everything away, can I? Yeah, wow. So you've got, you've got this proven background, Lauren, and of course, Pascal, your background through manufacturing and other spaces. And you've really been able to experiment and evolve and work over the last five years and work together. And all this knowledge is accumulated into the book. That's, mm. that's amazing. It's a, it's a gold mine, I guess, for us to be able to read and understand. And I've been fortunate to already, already read it. So thank you both. So guys, let's get into the book now. So you've written together this book, Harnessing <clears throat> Digital Disruption, that has brought this knowledge from two amazing backgrounds. Do you mind for our listeners delving into the book and what it's about and what the key points of the book are? So um, Harnessing Digital Disruption is basically a movie um, about uh, a big company in big trouble. And it's set in Singapore, which has uh, become one of my favorite cities. It was a real joy uh, visiting uh, Laurent uh, in Singapore, getting to know this dynamic place. Uh, and the reality of digital disruption uh, uh, in your face every day. So it's about a big company in trouble trying to um, prevent obsolescence, trying to reinvent itself um, using technology, uh, trying to re-energize the culture, trying to build the skills, trying to overcome the fear, the um, diffusion of effort that you get in crisis, and all the other blockers. So um, it's a realistic story of a real company. No happy endings, no um, artificial solutions to the blockers, just the reality of change in difficult times. And um, they live to fight another day, but it's not at all uh, glossy or easy or uh, uh, you know, a, a pretty, uh, a story. It's a real story. Yeah. It never is. It never is a silver bullet and it never is, uh, cause the journey keeps going, doesn't it? Yeah. So, so to complement uh, Pascal's answer, um, I would say that the way we've written the book is, is organized around one challenge, one chapter, and then there is a story around how you overcome that challenge. Sometimes, most of the time it works. Sometimes there is an additional blocker. And uh, the reason we've, uh, we've done that is because, uh, again, we've, uh, we've started with a survey of what the executive and the middle management and the staff face, and we kept the top 10, basically. Um, the, the second uh, way we wrote, we designed the book so that it's, easy and fun to read. So if you take a flight, I mean, before COVID, obviously, if you had to take a four hours flight, you could finish the book on the, on the right of it. And that's, that's the way it's been written. If that's okay with, with, with you guys, uh, I'd like to maybe share some, some illustration to support yeah. the description of what is inside the book. That would be great, man. So um, long story short, we know that most companies today have to address two strategic objectives at the same time. 
the obvious one is to protect their core business, but they also need to find a way to articulate that with igniting new growth. And I think that's what you call Pascal being ambidextrous. Is that, or is that, is that their case? Yeah, it's uh, a real challenge because you have to be good at uh, high quality, low defects, high reliability, standardized processes, as well as rapid experimentation, working your way through the dark and through the mist up the so-called hockey stick curve. So it's two gears, if you will, how to develop those skills. That's a big part of this book. Yeah, wow. I can really see that, guys. And that covers every business and industry there is probably in the world at the moment. How do we you know, protect the core business and keep that making money? while we have to evolve and ignite new growth. That really distills it quite simply. And so to support that, we like to use the image of, of a tree. Um, I will show that in a minute, but basically if you look at the top of the tree, everybody wants to have juicy fruits. So you will have uh, two types of fruit. You will have the low hanging fruits, which are around protecting the core business. And they are literally around reinventing the customer journey with lean and smart automation. Uh, typically, how do you onboard a client in any company uh, in a fast and effective way without increasing your risk exposure? Ignite New Growth is around the, the fruits that we will find at the top of the tree. And, uh, and that's going to be driven by either de-risking the launch of new offerings and or um, testing new business models. Because the question is not whether or not you will be cannibalized. The question is when. So one option you have is organize that cannibalization. And the same around disruption. You know disruption is coming. So you are actually better off trying to get on top of it as opposed to wait until it happens and then it's too late to react. Wow. So, Lauren, we're imagining this tree and the top of the tree, the fruit tree, and the low-hanging fruit you can gain through basically working on the core mm -hmm. and improving the customer journey and picking the low-hanging fruit. I love that analogy. But then you've got the top of the tree, which then comes down to all these other fruits, which is there where it comes to ignite new growth. This is a piece where we can do things as an organization to get that fruit at the higher part of the tree. Yeah, so um, we're um, indebted to the great late uh, Clayton Christensen, who articulated these ideas very, very well. And it's taken time, I think, for people to really absorb what the great Clay was saying. But uh, um, the low-hanging fruit he called uh, efficiency and sustaining innovation. And it's, as Laurent said, it's improving existing customer journeys. At, at the most basic level, it's eliminating waste, delay, defects, and those kinds of hassles. And those lay the foundation, as it works out, for breakthrough innovation, you know, by getting good at efficiency and sustaining innovation, you generate cash and you generate the kind of a culture that you need to ideate, to experiment towards new ventures, new journeys, um, and completely new technologies. Mm -hmm. So it is a synergistic kind of a thing, but it's a difficult journey because um, you have to go from uh, a risk-averse environment, certainly a banking, insurance, really manufacturing as well, to an environment that embraces experimentation. 
managed risk, but still risk. You know, you have to accept that out of your 10 innovations, maybe only one will be a winner. So you have to quickly run experiments, cheap, inno- mm. you know, effective, and then call the losers. That's a very different way of thinking. Wow. So there's there's a lot to be gained there. And the analogy is sounds really good. So I'm guessing that the trunk and the soil are going to be very important here. Yeah. So we, I'm going to show you the trunk right now, but just to simplify things. So Protect core business is all about process innovation. Ignite new growth is either on product innovation or even business model innovation. Example, say uh, we're talking about SME lending, 100K unsecured in banking. Um, The first protect your core business is instead of asking people to file uh, dozens of pages, I can do that automatically or semi-automatically uh, through mobile phone or on the desktop computer. That's if you're new to bank. And if you're already one of my customer, I can pre-fill a lot of the fields. All you need to do is to confirm and I can on- onboard you faster. Ignite new growth would be, um, I will partner up with a FinTech. Uh, it's called a commercial pilot. And I will be able to offer a new way to, to, to address a need. So for example, um, Cross-border payment, as we as we discussed, that can be done in a very radically different way. Mm-hmm. Ignite new growth is um, again. How do I uh, reinvent the way people do import/export with blockchain? Um, a typical example in insurance is um, you can you can reinvent travel insurance with um, smart contract, whereby if there is evidence that your plane has been delayed by two hours you will be reimbursed by X percent of your ticket automatically. Why? Because the database of the insurers will confront its data with Amadeus, which is basically the the, the booking system and the actual departure of the flight. So you don't need to do anything. It's going to happen automatically. Yeah. So guys, in a real life application, am I correct in saying that protect the core would be you know, taxi companies looking at how to use technology to get greater flow and speed and efficiency in their current systems and more profitability out of the current case. Ignite new growth would have been them developing their own Uber style approach. Yeah, maybe I, I can give you a, a manufacturing example because I know we have uh, many manufacturing companies listening. Building on your example, um, Brad, let's say we're a manufacturer of heavy equipment of some kind for the power industry or let's say farming. Protect core business would be identify your top 10 customer journeys. Let's say we're making farm equipment and uh, here are the top 10 journeys that our customers take. Well, let's identify the waste, the hassle. Let's eliminate those. Let's identify where we can automate or digitize so the farmer can communicate with us from his or her smartphone. All of those are examples of protecting your core business. The farmers like us. Um, Igniting new growth would be pulling in new technology like a, a digital platform and saying, now our equipment generates enormous amounts of data. What if we invite the farmers to the platform and developers to the platform and the offering will be, we'll make it really easy for you too to work together. The developers will extract meaning from the data. And now the farmer has extremely good and useful information around maintenance. So it's cheaper to maintain uh, his or her equipment and maybe specific information about the state of the crop. 
to the point of, you know, knowing what the nutrient level is, knowing what the quality of the soil is, knowing what uh, uh, the hydration is like. So now you've got a, t- a different business model. So you're not only providing the equipment, you're providing this platform that creates enormous amount of uh, knowledge for the, uh, for the farmer. Wow. And for the develop- developers, it's a totally different business model to, mm. to Laurent's point. And I love the concept there too, Pascal, because that igniting growth in that example isn't actually going to disrupt their current business either. So there's, I guess there's many avenues to it, isn't there? Sometimes I'm guessing yeah. you have to disrupt your current business, but in some cases there's completely new revenue streams and value to deliver. That's, that's great. Exactly right. I mean, another example would be in insurance. So as we know, uh, with global warming, there are more and more frequently um, what we call uh, natural catastrophes, right? So say- We've got that here. Right? So um, say that I am a, a farmer and I've been insuring my crop with your company, Brad. Now suddenly I claim and I want you to pay me back uh, millions of dollars. Well, you can easily assess the reality of my claim with drones. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it's a, it's another example of what you were just saying. Thanks to those new technologies, you can survey very fast and in a very accurate manner what actually happened. And you can then have a discussion based on data. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, there are examples all over the place. We're just scratching the surface. Another example is lighting. We're uh, Initially, we're a manufacturer of lighting systems for airports, industrial facilities, shopping malls. But if we think in terms of platforms, huh, what does the airport want? Do they want lighting equipment? No, they want light. So our offering is we will, man- we will give you light. We will own the equipment. We will harvest all the data because we'll have sensors on it. And that gives us a platform. And then we will um, invite developers to use artificial intelligence to glean insight from that data, which saves enormous amounts of money in terms of maintenance, reduces the carbon footprint, et cetera, et cetera. So now we're not a light manufacturer. We're a platform that brings together smart people. So there are many, many other examples. And we've just mentioned drones and data and artificial intelligence, but really there are eight or 10 breakthrough technologies. Astonishing thing for me, learning from Laurent and, and the Singapore ecosystem is that the combination is virtually uh, limitless, you know, so you probably could come up with 8, 10, 20 different uses of the different technologies, you know, wow. so you can IT plus drones plus 3D printing plus artificial intelligence plus blockchain and create something totally different like, whoa. So, guys, we've been talking about the uh, top of the tree, how there's those two elements of fruits or opportunity there, which is around the lower hanging fruit of protecting the core, which is around, you know, rapid customer journey improvement we can achieve to get revenues and outcomes for ourselves and benefits for customers. And then the ignite new growth with this, this, this new disruption, new innovation that we can bring into play. But, guys, what, what are the elements of the trunk and the soil that are critical to actually pulling that together because I'm, I'm guessing it's not a simple thing to just snap your fingers and all of a sudden you're getting these results. That's a great question, um, Brad. Why don't I start with the soil? So in order to create these two kinds of uh, fruit, you need a, a two-gear organization, as we said, and that requires a supportive culture. So for example, 
what are the mindsets in our organization? Are we comfortable with experimentation? Um, are we comfortable with data-based management as opposed to you know the highest paid person's opinion? Are we comfortable making problems visible? Because we cannot ideate our way to new uh, customer journeys, let alone new ventures, unless we're comfortable making problems visible. Um, do we have uh, the necessary skill sets? Do we understand what data can do for us? Do we have a sense of our shared purpose? So all of these are elements of the soil. So digital strategy, digital literacy, um, decision-making based on data, um, visibility of problems. Now, this provides a fertile soil. We have to have a solid trunk. And, and a solid trunk fundamentally means solid work systems. We have good standards. People work to their standards. Um, we have good uh, people systems. We hire good people. We train them to the necessary skills. And most important of all, uh, a management system. A management system entails um, how we define aspiration, how we allocate resources, how we uh, decide what needs to be done, how we reward people, how we solve problems. So, all of these are elements of, um, uh, of the trunk. Fundamentally, the trunk ultimately means developing a network of people who have the necessary skills, have the necessary mindset, and a robust process through which they can innovate. Yeah. Uh, we call it a pragmatic innovators network. Um, but those are elements of the soil and of the trunk that create these uh, fruits. The irony is that human nature being what it is, we jump to the fruit. We want the yeah. fruit, but the way you get it is starting at the soil and working your way up. Yeah. And I'm guessing too, guys, from your description there, Pascal, we've all spoken offline. There's no silver bullet. There's no one thing that you can just fire a silver bullet and all of a sudden have those fruits happening, is there? There's that whole fertile soil and then those key systems to the trunk. And I think that's really cool is what your books described is how you achieve that how you actually pull all these many factors together to achieve excellence and actually succeed and then make it happen. So if I may take that one, basically we call that the three streamline model. That's how we de-risk the digital transformation. So what does it look like? Basically the first streamline is the foundation as per Pascal description. And that's what we call the leadership development program. We'll get into more details in a minute. The second streamline is the trunk. Uh, it's the so-called Pragmatic Innovators Network, and it's about fostering radical innovation. So the Venn diagram uh, captures the need to organize around a shared logic and a shared language, people who are coming from the business part of the world, people who are coming from the design part of the world, and people who are coming from the coding and development part of the world. And this model is called the 3H model. We bring together hipsters, the designers, hackers, the coders, and hustlers, the people from the business, with the customer at the center, which is why there is red uh, at the interface. As you say, in Australia, this is where the shift happens. Yeah, definitely. Um, and of course, the, 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 the third swim lane is delivering results fast, which is fruits. So again, the way we organize our intervention is the new capability that we built in the leadership, but also in the middle management and staff is applied in a very structured way every day on 
the so-called portfolio of innovation projects. So as you can see on the left-hand side, we basically gradually uh, bring the maturity of the organization up by building the confidence and the capability through the enablers and journeys, which are addressing protect the core business objective, and then launch new offering and potentially new, new ventures, which is addressing the ignite new growth. Wow. So Lauren, what you're saying is to really form that tree analogy that you had and achieve all these, these fruits and results. There's a lot to it, but there's three parts of the journey that you've distilled all this complexity down to, which mm. one part of the journey is the leadership development program, which is how do we, how do we, you know, develop the capability and the leadership approach there. Then there's a whole journey part of pragmatic innovator network, which is how do we bring the right minds together? and actually start to distill all that knowledge and expertise to get movement. And then it's about the final part of the journey. The third part is the focused interventions, which is basically, like you said, we're starting to drive the results then. But it's highly systemized, I understand. Do you mind if we start with the leadership development program and we unpack that a bit more, Pascal and Lorraine, and really give our listeners some information and knowledge about what that leadership development program is about and why it's important to actually achieving a digital journey. Uh, happy to, uh, to address that question, um, Brad. So um, leadership is the enzyme that makes this chemical reaction go forward in the absence of, of capable leadership. It's very, very difficult to sustain this kind of a transformation. So we focus there. Um, first of all, leaders have to understand what technology can do for the business. So we need to help build their digital literacy. There are a number of ways of doing this. We like the idea of a hackathon, wherein you uh, partner with your ecosystem, you partner with the hackers, the uh, and you know the coders, the designers, the uh, the business people, and your ecosystem. Um, secondly, you have to understand. Um, the core methodologies. So we have executive uh, uh, coaching. So we understand on a practical level, the methodologies of design thinking and agile and lean startup. So a practical understanding of those. Now, we also have to define our aspiration in a compelling way. So understanding digital, understanding the core methodologies allows us to define our digital aspiration identify our digital uh, vulnerabilities, we call it a disruption map, and articulate a winning logic, which will drive us forward. So we have a clear aspiration, a clear winning logic. And um, out of this comes um, a balanced portfolio of initiatives and a a hypothesis. And if we do these five things, these five innovations, we will achieve this um, uh, aspiration. Now, to sustain this, you've got to um, develop a management system that encourages the right uh, mindset. So we call this the lighthouse. And at the lighthouse, we have a regular cadence wherein we look at the status of our innovation pipeline. We surface problems very, very quickly. We apply skills like innovation accounting to call the losing ideas identify the winning ideas and invest in them and help them up the hockey stick curve. Yeah, this is a a wonderful image of it. Um, uh, 
The, so the lighthouse we think of as the pulsing heart of our transformation. This is really hard to sustain, to your point, Brad. So you've got to have this kind of operating rhythm. So on a regular basis, we meet as a team and we replicate this throughout our organization. We have daily management meetings, at the front line, tier two, tier three, and they're all linked to the uh, senior level lighthouse. So we become a living organism, if you will, a nervous system that surfaces problems quickly, fixes them all in real time. And this is exactly what digital transformation is about. So yeah. So, um, yeah. Pascal, on that, you're, you're saying that on that swim lane, there's a part where we've got to give leadership knowledge and that's in those key elements. And then there's a part that we need to help the leadership really form up that plan for the future and start to get their, their direction and their reason why and what we're actually going to focus on and go for and the challenging goals there. And then there's this extremely important part of the journey, which is how do we make that visual? How do we create a scoreboard, which you, you're calling the lighthouse, that we meet in regulated at a top level of the business? Do you mind delving a bit more about what you, t- you mentioned there about you can have this rhythm happen in all parts of the organization and it's feeding up to this executive lighthouse. Yeah. A management system is um, a connected series of um, governance meetings with the senior level lighthouse connected to the frontline team meetings. And the content of these meetings is what's the target? What's the actual, what are the abnormalities? What's the root cause? Let's fix them. If we can't fix them, we ask for help. So you have a real-time problem solving around a shared um, aspiration and a shared winning logic. So when you enable a management system in this way, you have a value creating machine and you can turn the machine in any direction you want to adjust very, very quickly. So if we see a new opportunity, we're able to adjust because we're like a living organism as opposed to being very rigid and very risk averse. Yeah. Everyone's connected. Like I love that, that word you said, it's like a connected organism that these meetings and these lighthouses are at every level. They might be different, they, but they're connected to the top lighthouses, top visual room or visual system where we can see everything, all the data, all the information, what that's relevant to the journey. And we can pivot and adjust on a dime depending on what we're seeing. That's impressive. And that's the reason we call it the transformation lighthouse because effectively on the right-hand side, the roadblocks are the reefs we need to avoid in order to navigate safely throughout the journey. So the lighthouse is not only ensuring that everybody is organized around a shared goal, but it's to Pascal's point, a very practical cost-effective mechanism to ensure that people understand the the situation at a glance so that they can learn and act together very fast. And the second part is because problems are golden, they are put on the wall and everybody's attention is around, all right, so if that's in the way, who's doing what about it? And how fast do you reckon we need to get back in the green? So it's also a very key enablers to focus everybody's effort. Because in the end, the, 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 the way we put it is, we need to fight four battles. We need to actually win four battles. The first one is ignorance. 
People don't know what's happening. It's very hard in practice to have a good understanding of the entire portfolio of, init of in-flight initiative, which is also called the backlog. Well, this is one way to do that. The, the second uh, battle we need to, to win is guesswork. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, you've got a lot of data which are turned into decisions and action on the spot because of the cadence. The third one is fear. People actually are not sure of what's going to happen. Typically, they are not. The reason why most people are not comfortable with bringing surface, uh, bringing problems to the surface, is because they know that very often, the typical reaction is, "Oh, let's shoot the messengers. That's going to that's going to solve the problem." Yeah. And the last one, which is the most critical battle we need to win, is the diffusion of effort. This is the cockpit of your transformation. This is how you make sure that everybody is focusing on what matters and you don't have too much pet projects. You have direct focus and management intervention against the roadblocks, which means that now you have a very positive deal. Yes, direction comes from the top, but also support comes from the top in exchange of giving us transparency when it comes to the feedback loop, connecting the top to the bottom of the pyramid, and addressing, as we know, the most difficult piece of the organization when it comes to transformation, which is what we call the, the, the permafrost, the middle management. Yeah. All the barons in the company who are actually under the impression that they are better off preserving the status quo as opposed to rocking the boat. Yeah. I love it, guys, because you've, with this model here of the lighthouse and the connected lighthouse down to the front line, you've defined a way in a traditional organization, you know, the waterfall structured organization to actually create agility and pace without having yeah. to necessarily completely revolutionize the structure of the company. And also, like you said, Lauren, it's a way to destroy that permafrost or the mud. I've heard it called mud too, through the middle to get that connectedness and that speed and pace of overcoming issues and innovating as you move forward. Yeah. One thing we, we really emphasize is that um, this entails a substantial uh, cultural shift and a mindset shift. And so um, senior leader coaching is a big part of our practice. We spend a lot of time um, helping senior leaders who, with very few exceptions, are very hardworking, very smart, very well-meaning, but they've grown up in a different kind of a culture. So helping these good people affect and absorb and deepen their their mindsets so they can manage in this way is, is really important you know um, and um, uh, also uncovering uh, the various obstacles to managing according to that image there are all sorts of governance obstacles we call them incentive structures um, organizational structure issues uh, there are a whole bunch of blockers so yeah. so people are well-meaning they want to do the right thing. We help them with the coaching, but they've also we've also got to work on the uh, invisible governance obstacles yeah. to yeah. sustain this kind of thing. You know, Pascal, I know when I know, like I'll talk for myself because I know when I was in senior leadership, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was very good at forming a strategic plan and then having it collect dust or having every monkey on my back because I wasn't oh. good at deploying that plan. I was also very good at uh, not very good at connecting the organization and getting movement everywhere strategically very good at just working with my executive team and 
making them stressed, but that's sort of where it stopped. And I see that so often everywhere, you know, where the, the organization is not connected and the strategic plan and the cultural approach is collecting dust. If not just all the monkeys are on the senior leadership shoulders and they're stressed about it. Are you seeing that around the world guys? Cause you're both in different parts of the world right now, Pascal and Canada, Laurent and New Zealand. I, if I, if I may begin, it is um, maybe the most common failure mode is the absence of this connected management system. Um, too often, as you so well um, described, Brad, the strategic plan is this really smart, clever document that just gathers dust. There's no mechanism. There's no gear system, if you will, that translates that into deployed plans and checking and abnormality management. Um, so yeah, and it's not well understood. Uh, some companies do it very well. The great industrials do it well. It's been my good fortune to work with the the Procter and Gambles, the Kimberly Clarks, the Honeywells, the Toyotas, of course, but it's not that well understood. Within um, financial services, there are a handful of companies that are very good, and we're lucky enough to work with some of them, but that's a big element, a big enabler. Um, otherwise, the plan is just some abstract thing up here, but there's no real deployment. There's no real action on the innovation portfolio, for example. Because one, one question I've got here with this, which is a really important one, like we've described the tree and I think everyone knows there's the fruits and so much to gain. And, and we can see it with some companies, you know, that they're gaining it. And we know there's a lot of work to do. And I think most leaders you talk to would know that they want to be able to connect the organization and they want to be able to help that organization move and build agility and get pace. And they want to get some of the monkeys off their back, but why, what stops leaders actually being able to do that? So a short answer would be the knowing doing gap. So if you, if you go back to the analogy of an, organi an organization can be considered as a living organism, all of us, we've tried to, quit smoking, have a more healthy diet, wake up at 6 a.m. and go for a run. And we always start the year with some kind of decisions around those. The, mo the, the, the most brave among us, maybe 20%, we actually do we'll go for a run at 6 a.m. for a month, and then we go back to, well, no. <laughs> so, so one of one of the reasons I I, I, uh, I like Pascal's uh, initial book, getting the right things done so much, is because his motto is, we do twenty percent planning, eighty percent doing, and that's exactly what it does. So to overcome the knowing doing gap, you focus people on the doing, and it's very con consistent with either Lean principle or Agile principle because it's about learning how to dance, learning a cadence. You repeat the gesture until it becomes good and then practice makes perfect. Now you need to, so that's the first answer. The second answer in, in real life, it's very hard to break the silos uh, horizontally, in other words, to ensure that the teams are connected in a way that reflects the customer journey. That's already a big achievement for big companies to actually think like the customer journey. But even if they achieve that, to connect the dots vertically, which is, the, the front line, the middle management, aka permafrost, and the top of the pyramid is actually much more difficult to achieve. 
And the reason for that is because they don't have a simple cost-effective IT agnostic way mechanism to do that, which is what Pascal described a few minutes ago. Yeah, wow. I can certainly see the power of it. And Lorraine, you brought in that other, other element, which is at what level of the organization do we have the customer journey connected? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole there's a whole episode on that one. <laughs> yes. Because typically it's fairly high up the chain, isn't it? Like in a yeah. in an Amazon or in a highly agile organization, it's virtually the front line where you've got the yeah. right knowledge and skill set working together in a tight unit with you know virtually a cross functional unit in a small team. But in yeah. most organizations we're talking about nowadays, it's way up the chain a fair bit, isn't it? The metaphor that uh, we often use with respect to the lighthouse the management system and the knowing doing gap is, um, first of all, we have to make the chessboard visible. So those three walls, the uh, lighthouse all the way to the front line, we have a target, we have an actual, we have visual tools like uh, an innovation funnel, and there are the 10 key uh, innovations in our portfolio, and each one has a red, a green, clear targets, clear actuals. So first of all, you want to make the chessboard visible. And that takes, you know, some months. Yeah. Then you want to be able to make better moves. And it takes some months for the senior team and any team to see patterns, to start to recognize, okay, these are the drivers in this business unit. And we have that shared understanding, as Laurent said, this is a cross-functional team, and we're starting to think end-to-end, which is another major mind shift. So now we understand the drivers. We can see the chessboard. On some cadence, we see patterns. Now we can start to make better moves. And now we can start to do some basic efficiency innovation, some sustaining innovation. See, it builds our muscles. And before long, we have the potential to do a disruptive innovation because we've built our muscles in this way, yeah. but, but it's an evolution, you know, yeah. and, and, and we have to help our, our, our senior leaders in that evolution in a safe way, you know, cause they want to do the right thing, but they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to seem like they don't know what they're doing. So you've got to be respectful of that and help them up that learning curve, you know? Yeah. And Pascal, I'm guessing that's the importance of that final step you mentioned, which is coaching and support, like the coaching and support that, you and Laurent would provide your customers, but I guess to build any new habit that is can be quite different in an organization, you need a personal trainer. I've got a personal trainer for my fitness, and I tell you, it's been a godsend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, and uh, to understand that each leader inherits a certain situation. With one one company we've worked with for some time, there's a, a very capable senior leader, a senior uh, CIO that is um, building a team and dealing with legacy situations. So we have to understand that reality and that it's a long journey. And, you know, uh, she is um, dealing with a chessboard as she inherited it. So we have to help her see the chessboard, start to make good moves, start to understand drivers uh, and understand that it's going to take time and root cause problem solving, visual management, um, digital literacy, whatever the necessary skills are. Uh, It's not a one size fits all kind of a thing. Every trainer has to assess where you're currently at, you know, and work through that and work through that and whisper and be humorous. And uh, yeah, you have to relax with it because 
you know, this is hard stuff, you know? Yeah. And they've got the, they've got all the current noises and challenges and chaos of their current world coming at them while they're trying to shift and actually make adjustments. It's yeah. no easy task, is it? No, no. And, uh, you know, it's a lonely job as well. Um, you know, senior leadership is perhaps the, the loneliest job in the world because, you know, who do you talk to? So your coaches, <laughs> you have to have a good relationship and you have to trust them yeah. and you have to be able to whisper and say, look, <laughs> yeah. remember the basics, right? Now's yeah. the time. Okay. Yeah. Because right. I, think, I think an analogy <laughs> that for a senior leader can be, it's like you're standing in the middle of a battlefield and you can see the goal and you can see a path to get there, but trying to not let the battlefield disrupt you while you're trying to navigate through the field, it can be difficult. Yeah. So guys, that, that's been really amazing being able to get some background of how you two connected, understand why you've written this book, look at the tree analogy that really allows us to understand those two fruits, which seem so easy to get, but there's a fair bit to it. And then we really unpacked the first swim lane of your journey model, that whole leadership piece, which has given some amazing insights. We've got the two others to do that. I think we'll do an episode two. But to finish off with, I've got a question I always like to ask. And Lauren, I'm going to ask it for you today. And then Pascal, I'll, I'll come to you next episode. But Lauren, what's something that you've learned recently that you didn't know before? What's been a recent insight for you? Agility applied to your own life would be my answer. What does it mean? Um, for the last six years, we were based in Singapore. We came in New Zealand for a hike in Fjordland, which is the Southern Island, in March 2020. And as a consequence of that, we got stranded for the months of April, May, June. We are not able to go back to Singapore. And in July, when we had green light and we were able to go back to Singapore, we decided to stay here. So it's about embracing the circumstances and turning a constraint into an opportunity, which is one of the core values of the Japanese culture, of the Lean culture, of the Agile culture. That would be my answer. Yeah, wow. So you've got to live it in your personal life. <laughs> that's, yes. that's unique. That's a, that's a unique COVID experience that. But isn't it amazing that you've now decided to stay there? That's, that's good it's for New Zealand. It's a beautiful country. I mean... Yeah, it's, it's amazing. But that's an entire episode on that. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Well, New Zealand's the better for it. And I guess you've had the great experience of New Zealand too, a country that's been well-led well and covered, gone through COVID quite well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, um, I also have another answer to why the book, but in a humorous way, uh, because as Pascal pointed, uh, we think that uh, humor is one of the core technique that we use all the time uh, because it's very important that serious people don't take themselves seriously as, as we know. So let me share that with you. Um, if I may, would that be okay? Yeah, definitely. Can you see the screen? Yeah. Yeah. So why this book? Because uh, that's what lemmings believe is going to happen in digital age. And we, we definitely don't want that to happen uh, to our clients and we also have a method that is proven to work and we are more than happy to share it yeah so lemmings head towards the cliff thinking that they're going to fly yes typically it doesn't happen i think that's the analogy that you could say to guys when we we put our heads in the sand because putting our heads in the sand is you're hoping for the best aren't you but it, <laughs> it might not work that way might not, not work <laughs> yeah 
Well, Pascal and Lauren, thank you so much for this amazing first episode. Um, you've re- you're really helping us create a better future in the in the future that we are in. Like, I guess COVID has just amplified the pace to which we've come to this place that you've written about. And you started this book before this even happened. So hats off to you for predicting the future. And uh, we really look forward to getting into episode two. So we'll, we'll all wait for that. Thank you. Thank you. There were two key takeaways for me from this episode. Number one, digital disruption is here and will impact on every organization. Secondly, creating the connected, agile organization organism. The first takeaway is that digital disruption has and will continue to happen to organizations. This is either a threat or an opportunity, depending on how an organization is positioned. Are they geared to take advantage of this new era or not? To make the digital age an opportunity, organizations need to be connected and agile, which leads me on to takeaway number two. Pascal mentioned during the episode that an organization needs to be a connected organism. To achieve this, leadership need to be skilled at strategic and cultural planning and deployment to all levels of the organization. They then need to have the systems and skills to execute on the plan. Pascal and Laurent mentioned the lighthouse and multi-tier meeting approach to make strategy and challenges visible and enable rapid execution of strategy and overcoming of challenges at the right level really simple and fast. Agile companies have this system coupled with the leadership and cultural approach to support it. Companies that are not agile don't have the system and they are often led in a way that does not support the focus, empowerment and autonomy needed to achieve it. Pascal Lorenz's book, Harnessing Digital Disruption, outlines how to achieve this well. Thanks again for your time and knowledge, Lorenz and Pascal. We are looking forward to episode two. Bye for now.